Welcome again to Marin Covenant Church. Welcome our online community. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, one of the things about my job I find is that I am in my car all the time, driving everywhere, thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. But there's all different things I do to keep myself and my brain occupied. But one of the things I found is I love listening to podcasts. And uh, I don't know if it's my age or my temperament, but I found a couple history podcasts that just like are mesmerizing for me as a middle-aged man. And I guess it's my version of the History Channel joke or meme. But uh, one of the things I came across when I was listening to podcasts this last uh, month was in the 1800s was the era of exploration. And it was the 1800s when there was enough technology, enough wealth, enough... um, I don't know, adventures that people still had. And people started going to the farthest reaches in the most unexplored places of the earth. And the two of them being the North Pole and the South Pole. Now, why people would want to go there, it's freezing. There's no life there. There's no animals there. Um, But there's something in the human heart that just says, I want to go and do this. And I want to be the first and I want my name to be on it. Not me. I like guided tours. I like paths. But I love listening to these stories about these um, mostly men who are just like, I am going to go do this thing. Well, in the 1800s, there was a race to figure out, uh, to get to the North Pole, and then ultimately the South Pole. And there was this noble, uh, a a noble lord, a sir, uh, John Benjamin, and he set out in the uh, 1850s to go find the North Pole. And so he sets out with this expedition and ends up getting lost. And there's no GPS, there's no cell phones. It's not like you could just go to the, get a hitchhike to a gas station and call back and get back up. It's like, I haven't heard from my family from like two years, what is up, right? And a lot of times they're like, well, I guess that's just how the nature of the world goes. But I guess Sir John Franklin was so important that uh, the king was like, listen, we need to find out what happened to this guy. And so he commissioned a bunch of ships to go out and find them. And one of them was the HMS Resolute. That's the picture here. Are you enjoying this little podcast? So this is why, this is what's crazy. So the HMS Resolute, like this is the 1854. I mean, ships at this point were incredible feats of technological genius. These are these wooden ships that were able to navigate the entire ocean. No GPS, no diesel, no nuclear power, and they were able to go all over the world. And this particular ship was designed to navigate the ice. It could actually go through icy waters and survive and do all these things. It was this incredible, marvelous piece of technology and machinery. And uh, except because humans are humans and uh, nature is nature, they got stuck into an ice flat and the ice actually got all the way around the ship and it got dead in the water. And the, the crew of over 100 people abandoned ship and they got rescued and they took off. And then this ship became like a ghost ship and just floated around the Atlantic Ocean. Over 1,200 miles, it drifted from where it started. And a whaling ship a year later finds this thing and they, they takes it, uh, they drag it to England, they remodel it and, and send it back on its way. And I, as I was hearing the story, I'm like, well, hey, it's a fascinating story. But I was just mesmerized be, uh, on a spiritual level of, in some sense, this is exactly our story. We get in our very being that we are made in the image of God. We are these incredibly beautiful, technologically marvelous pieces of humanity, of the animal kingdom. And we know it. We know we're made in the image of God. We know we're special. We know we're unique. We know we're beautiful. And like, even when the world like, bear, like trashes on us and thrashes on us and we have like stuff from our past, like it, it, it hurts us because we know that we're made in the image of God. We know we've been created for this incredible purpose. And what ends up happening is we think we should just be like these boats and just be displayed as these incredible, beautiful pieces of God's creation, but we miss out on our purpose. 
And what we miss out on our purpose is that we are actually not just boats, but we are sailing boats, right? The way in which we are designed to be created is to partner with God. And by partnering with God, by partnering with the movement of the Holy Spirit, we actually get to fulfill the purpose that God made for us and to live our life that God longs for us. And so we don't want to be like the resolute that was this beautiful ship that's just listless in the ocean, wandering around. We want to be people, right, who understand the movement of God and who are masters and understand the way that God has uniquely crafted us as beautiful and fearfully and wonderfully made, but people who are deeply connected to the Holy Spirit so we can actually do and be the people that God longs for us to be. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. In 17 whole minutes, you are going to get the rundown of every single thing that you need to know about the Holy Spirit. And so we're in this uh, sermon series called Towards a Life in Christ. You've been around our church, right? This is what we long to be. We want to be a, a church where any and all spiritually hungry people can show up and begin to explore what it means to know and love God. And we say, well, what that looks like is we want to be on this journey toward a life in Christ. It's kind of this nebulous thing. What does that mean, toward a life in Christ? So we thought we'd spend the fall saying, this is what we think it looks like. If you want to be on this journey toward a life in Christ, what's end up going to happen is that we're going to be a life in Christ. We're going to be disciples of Jesus that are inspired and intelligent and involved. And for the next 10 weeks or so, we're going to look at these different categories and figure out how do we be more inspired and heart forward? How do we be more intelligent in our faith? And how do we activate our faith for God's purposes? And so this morning, under the Inspired Banner, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit, so that we can be Holy Spirit people. So that's what we're going to try to accomplish this morning. So we have to start, first of all, with what in the world is the Holy Spirit? And this is definitely not for the 17-minute part. This is like, this is super complex. It's taken theologians like 300 years after the Bible came to, to say, this is scripture. It still took theologians like 300 years to say, what is this complex God? We're trying to understand the way that God's revealed himself in scripture, and we just cannot get our way, our mind around it. There's God, the Godhead, the almighty other but God has revealed himself in three persons that God is the Father, he's the Son, he's the Holy Spirit. Somehow there's these three persons, but yet one God. And they all live together in this beautiful community of love. And one of, that's one of my favorite theologians. That's what he says. And what's so fun is we, as God's people, are invited to be in that kind of intimate relationship with God and with one another. And so the Holy Spirit is like is the third part, the third person of the, of the Trinity. And uh, and. You see in Matthew, at the end of Matthew, right, they, they, he mentions, he doesn't say the Trinity, but he says, right, go make disciples, right, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about, in the very beginning, the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And so there's this idea throughout Scripture, and it took theologians a long time to say this is what's going on, but that there's a, a part, one of the persons of the Holy of of the, of the Godhead is this Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the activator, right? It's the movement of God, the presence of God, the, the wind in the sails that moves uh, his people along his purposes. Uh, John says this, I mean, Jesus says this about John. John says this about Jesus in uh, John chapter 14. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. So Jesus is saying, listen, I, I'm God and I'm with you, but I'm going to leave. And when I leave you, I'm going to give you another person, a helper, the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And I love this last part. And you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here's what the most incredible thing about Christianity to me. So God 
The story of God is this, that he created human beings in his image, and he wants nothing more than to be with his creation, right? He created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were naked, which just basically means there was no barrier between each other, between God. He lived in perfect fellowship with them. They walked together. They had a relationship together, right? God could have just made us to be servants, to be doorkeepers, to be cupbearers, which would have been awesome. God deserves all the honor and praise. And if we were just servants, that would be great. But God says, no, I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. I don't want there to be any barrier between me and you. That's the way that God longed for us to be. And then because of our sinfulness and our rebellion, right, there's a separation between us and God. And uh, and then we've just been on this wild track ever since. But God in his infinite grace and his infinite mercy has been on this mission to be like, no, I want to be with my people. I want to be their God. I want them to be my people. And he's been on this mission ever since. And uh, and all the way back, even in Exodus, God clarifies this. He says, um, in Exodus 25, he says, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. And so for a long time, God kept trying to find a way to say, how am I gonna represent this way of I wanna be with them, but they are these wild rebellious people and, and how do we spend time together? And so God came up with this incredible plan to create a tabernacle so that God can make his home among us. Because that is God's dream. God longs to make his home among us. And what's so funny is we, as humans, we know in our guts, right? If we're going to be close to God, there's like, oh, we're not quite ready to go and have God be in our home or to go to God's home. And you know this is the case because whenever you have company, you immediately start straightening up things. Right? You put, at least get the, the stuff out of the dishes. You like fix the stuff on the sofa. You move some stuff. Like you, you do at least the bare minimum. And like, I found that the most strenuous parts of my marriage are what I think is acceptable and what my wife thinks is acceptable when people come over are two vastly different standards. But even in my much lower standard, there is a standard. There is like, oh my goodness, people are coming over. I better shape up some things, right? So imagine, if that's just my friends coming over, imagine... God, the creator of the universe, you're like, oh, I'm going to go and be in his presence, right? There's this thing in us that goes, oh, my house is not ready to be in order. We know that all humans have known that. We've all humans have all tried to find some way to get our house in order. And the system that God set up was this whole system of sacrifices and animal sacrifices is basically going, listen, I'm holy, I'm perfect, I'm pure, you're not. And all the, so what's going to happen is you can do this whole system of sacrifices so that you can be with me. And all through Exodus, God uh, tells the story of this, and then he actually gives plans for the home that he wants. And this is an artist's rendition, but it was this tent, and this tent of meeting, and in the middle of it was this Ark of the Covenant, and that was the place where God was gonna dwell. Because God's heart, ever since the beginning of creation, was to live with his people. But we're rebellious jerks, right? And so he had to fix that. And so he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll at least make a special spot where I'm gonna live, put this giant curtain that separated us, and then came up with this whole system and structure so that God could at least be near his people, if not necessarily with them all the time. So God uh, gives this to Moses. They build this whole thing. And then Exodus 40, this is what it says. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So there it is. The Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, came down. The presence of God said, here I am with my people. Just like I long for sort of a version of it in Genesis, but here is this tent of meeting. And that tent of meeting followed the Jewish people around for like another 500 years, that version of worship. And well, about 500 years later or so, um, King David shows up on the scene and he has this giant palace and he, and he loves God so much. And he realizes, listen, I have this beautiful palace. God's home is in a tent. I think God should have a beautiful palace as well. And um, 
And God, for whatever reason, says, David, that's not going to be you. That's going to be your son, but you should start saving money. So I tell us my parents, start saving money so I can live the good life. That's my take from that. So, so Solomon then goes, builds this whole temple, right? So he builds the permanent version of this. And this is how artists uh, just figured out kind of what it probably looked like. And you see, there's still a tent, but now instead of a tent, is a temple. It's this beautiful, beautiful tent, temple. Oh, there's gold everywhere. But even within the temple, there's still the two main parts, which is the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence was going to live and dwell. And then there was this curtain that separated this holy, perfect, beautiful God from his rebellious people. And then you had all the, the rituals and sacrifices that you had to do so that you can somehow make that system work. Because God's dream and desire, right, from the very beginning is that he would make a home with us. Now, the reason why I loved Christianity and the Christian story so much is because Christianity, the, the, the story of Jesus, is the culmination of that. Jesus' entire mission was to come and to make it possible for humans to be in true relationship with Jesus. Right? One of the gospel writers talks about when Jesus died on the cross, the, temp, the, 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 the curtain was torn in two. Right? The thing that separated holy perfect, beautiful God and rebellious humanity, that curtain was torn in two because Jesus now had covered all of our sin. All of the rebellious things, all of the, the dishes in the sink and all the things that were hiding in our closet, all those things got wiped out and Jesus covered all those things so that we now could be in intimate relationship with him, which is so awesome. The thing that God longed for to be in the Garden of Eden, the thing that he spent a thousand years trying to drill in people's minds gets culminated in Jesus so that we now get to have intimate relationship with him. Back in the 80s, when there were bumper stickers everywhere. It's like, I'm not religious. I just love the Lord. Or I'm not, it's not a religion. It's a relationship, right? right? If, bumper stickers were awesome back then. We all mock them now. But it was this beautiful, pithy thing that we kind of throw away. But it is true because there's this difference of trying to be religious people trying to like make God like us versus, whoa, no, we actually get to be in relationship with Jesus. And what I love is in this idea of the temple, not only so there's the tent of meeting, there's the temple, then Jesus, then Jesus gives us this new picture and says, actually, you now are the temple. You're not just my friends. You don't just get to have a relationship with me, but you now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the cornerstone, but you and I make up all the blocks. And so even though Jesus lives in me individually, even though Jesus lives in you individually, there's something about the corporate church coming together to be uh, the temple of, of Christ. So here's a little picture. This is a picture of the cornerstone of the temple. It's this giant, this giant slab, right? Jesus is like, this is it, an immovable slab. And then he invites you and I to be part of that. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And so therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's, it's such a wild, different framing to be like, yeah, Jesus is my best friend or I have a relationship with God. And like, listen, God wants to have this intimate friendship with us, which is so true. But it is a little bit of a different framing to think, oh my goodness, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Just like if I'm going to go over to someone's house for dinner, I'm like, whoa, like you, I treat their house with honor. When they come to my house for dinner, I want them to treat my house with honor. If I go to a beautiful museum, you see these incredible works of art, you're like, whoa, like you treat it with honor. Imagine if we could really get our heads that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Individually, corporately, right? That we are made by God, for God, and that now God dwells in us. And so how do we treat ourselves? How do we treat one another? What do we do actually matters? If we thought, you know, we just came here and like, 
just thrashed on our church all the time. You're like, well, that's so rude. This is a place for worship. But the truth is your very being is that. And so God's inviting us to be not just in relationship with him, but to actually have his temple be here on earth. And just like God longed for his presence to be on earth, his temple to be on earth, to be a story, to be a marker for the world around him, to hear and know about this unbelievable holy God who deeply loves his people, now we get to be that gathered body. So that's God's dream. But the way I wanted to wrap this up is I just think there's three things that the Holy Spirit does. So we recognize that, that God longs to be in relationship with us, that God created us to be um, temples of the Holy Spirit, right? You think of like God made these incredible sailing ships and now it's a matter of, well, how in the world do we actually capture uh, the wind so that we can be those people? Um, here are the three things that I just wanna make sure we get before we move, uh, end our time together. So the very first thing is this, that the Holy Spirit gives us power. Right? Just like in a sailing ship, that it's the Holy Spirit that moves us. You could take uh, oars all day, every day, but that's exhausting. It's tiring. It's not what we're designed to do. It's not who we're designed to be. We are designed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, which means we have to figure out what does that even look like and mean. In my younger era, years, I thought, well, if God, the creator of the universe, is living in me and, and I have the power of the resurrection in me, then therefore, you know, I can be like, you know, a I can be a magician and I can just say and do whatever I wanted, but that never worked out for me. Turns out you should probably study scripture because then you find out that there's a different version of what God's talking about. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this, and we are all who with unveiled faces um, contemplate the Lord's glory, right? With unveiled faces, because of the ministry of Jesus, we actually get to come right into the presence of God. And therefore we're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. This is what I think is incredible. It is the Holy Spirit who's actually doing the transformative work in our lives. Um, gosh, it's been a long time now. When I turned 40, the day I turned 40, I was traveling and I FaceTimed my son to so he could wish me a happy birthday, right? And, uh, and I was a full statistic. I was uh, at a restaurant, FaceTime my son, walking, and I missed a step, and I fell down, and I broke my knee in half. And I know, it's horrible. I was gonna show you the picture, but that is horrible. So, but, it, and actually, and like, it's so bad, like you need surgery, like my, my patella in half, I'm on the ground, I'm like, this is so embarrassing, and I'm in so much pain, and uh, I was listening to a World War I podcast at the time, and I was like, I would have never made it in World War I, like, I just like, it was like, it was so, it was so traumatic and hard, but if you've ever had a surgery, uh, a knee replacement, a shoulder replacement, or any kind of surgery, what's wild is, the surgeons are incredible. The surgeon did all the work. The surgeon put my knee back together. The surgeon put my uh, tendons back together. The surgeon put me back together. I was a whole and healed person. The surgeon did all that. And I could just be like, thank you, and then walk with the limp forever. But the truth is now there was this physical therapy. There was this partnership that God was inviting me into to partner with the Holy Spirit to learn how to not walk with a limp. And that's what God says. God already did all the transformative work in us. When we are brand new creations in Jesus, and you're like, I don't feel that way. Well, that is the truth. You are a brand new creation. And the work of sanctification, of transformation, is making space for the Holy Spirit to make what's true on the inside, true on the outside. He does the work. You can't try. I could try as hard as I wanted to put my knee back together. I am not going to do it. A surgeon had to do it. You can try and do all the things to feel better about your life, but it is not going to work until the Holy Spirit does the work and then we partner with him. So the Holy Spirit gives us power and not power to do magic, 
but the power to be transformed. And when we're transformed, we actually have the power to be graceful and to forgive one another, to love one another, to, to do all things that he's asked us to do. So that's one. The second thing is that the, the Holy Spirit leads us. That the Holy Spirit is actually the one who leads us. What's incredible, if you're a sailor, you know that going south is going with the wind. However the currents work, which I don't really understand, but I understand sailors who say they go south, piece of cake, it's way more fun to, to, to sail south. If you have to sail north, it is the worst. It takes five times as long and it is no fun. In fact, most people, they sail all the way down to where they're going to go and then they ship their boat back up because it's such a pain to sail against the wind. So we, as Christians, we want to know what the Holy Spirit's doing. We want to be able to sense where the Holy Spirit's going. And then we actually want to go where the Holy Spirit's going, right? Jeff's whole sermon last week was incredible about partnering with the Holy Spirit, partnering with the, with the will of God, having our prayers align with the will of God. So we have to learn to know what the will of God is so that we can go and partner with him. And I love that if you do GPS, right, and you start taking wrong turns and wrong turns, it like will keep telling you, uh, rerouting, 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 right? Sometimes I'm just going to say, hey, I need to go to this spot in the city, but I need to run errands. And then it just drives me crazy because it's always giving me these, you know, the messed up turns. But it's going to get you to the direction. Um, in John chapter 16, it says this, but he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, when he, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit longs to be in relationship with us, right? God longs to be at home with us, to walk with us. He is trying his best to communicate, to lead us. And what's so funny is most of us just plug our ears the whole time. I love, I talked about this a couple weeks ago in Psalm 32, one of my favorite Psalms, that God says, I will lead you with an eye of love, right? I will lead you like this if you want. But if not, I'll lead you with a bit and bridle, like your choice. God will take his people where he needs us to go and we can either partner with him and enjoy the ride or he will get us there no matter what. So the Holy Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit leads us. And the last thing is that the Holy Spirit gifts us. So I don't know if you're any comic book fans, but who is stronger and better, Batman or Superman? Superman. <laughs> Superman. Who said that? Nice work, Abe. That's right. It's actually true. Good job, babe. You can stay. So <laughs> Superman, if you're a good Christian, you know Superman is actually way better than Batman. Now, Batman's awesome. Don't get me wrong. Batman is brilliant. He's wealthy. He's a genius. He's an inventor. And he's crafted his entire life to figure out to do all the things out of his own power and out of his own wealth to be super strong and to do this thing that he feels like he was supposed to do. I think of Batman, though, actually, as the ultimate religious person, right? Because we all, religious, Christian, non-Christian, we all want to be good people. We all want to be noble people. We all want to be these kinds of people. And what the religious person does is they use all their energy and effort to put, to put all the work in to present as a superhero. They do all the disciplines, all the work, all the things that they think is going to show off that they are a religious person so that they'll have favor with God and favor the people around them and be the good people that they think God wants them to be. And it must be exhausting. And you think of only, there's only one Batman, right? Think of all the people who tried to be Batman and couldn't be Batman. And even Batman at the end of the day is nothing compared to Superman. I don't care what the comic books say. Superman <laughs> is a baller. Because Superman, he's from another planet. And because he's from another planet, his actual DNA is not human. 
right? He doesn't need to try to be stronger than Batman. He didn't need to try to find a way to fly. He didn't need to try to find a way to get from here to there. Like, it is just in him to do the thing. And what we forget is we try so hard to be good religious people, and it is exhausting. What is so much more fun is to figure out that God has uniquely gifted you and me with the Holy Spirit. We have these superpowers inside of us and together God using us to expand his kingdom. And what's so funny is most of us just go, that's not a superpower. I just do this thing. I just do this thing. But what's incredible is the body doing its thing means that the kingdom of God advances and that the superhero thing actually occurs. This last week I was uh, in the prayer room and it was incredible. I hope that you had a chance to do that. And when Jeff and I were dreaming this thing up and talking about it and I was getting my head around it, um, you know, I just think, gosh, piece of cake. Logistically, this is going to be no problem. I can totally see how it's all going to work. We, you know, we have some great resources, some great tools. Our people are going to have a good time. It's going to be great. And away we go. Except the way that I'm wired, when I imagined the prayer room, I imagined a blank room, maybe a wooden stool and a candle, like a good Puritan. (laughs) And so I'm in there and I'm praying and I'm just encountering God's goodness and God's grace felt like there's all these people that came before me. I'm doing my part. The room's just saturated. But the room's not just saturated. Every single thing in the room is just perfect and particular and has such intention. And you can just tell all, it's like when someone creates a nice meal for you, you're like, whoa, this is a nice meal. Like you realize someone created this nice room. And I was just like, oh my goodness. God, I'm so thankful for you, Linda. Like, oh my goodness, what a gift that Linda is, that she didn't just have a bench with a candle, but God made Linda (laughs) to have a superpower to say, I actually am gifted by God to create a space so that people will feel warm and loved and cared for, and that it points to Jesus. Like, that's a gifting. Like, not everybody can do that. But that's one of the things that Linda's unfair. She has a lot of gifts, but that for sure gifting was a gift that we all got to experience, right? Right? My friend, Tom Carthart, he, uh, he was leading a small group. He's like, you know what? I actually don't think I want to be leading a small group. It, it kind of wears on me a little bit. But you know what I would love to do is I would love to host a dinner for all the small group leaders. And so we took all the men's monthly meetup leaders, and he just spent all day creating this incredible meal. I mean, it's a feast for more than that, for more than us. And we as the leaders got to go and have this incredible feast. And he just opened up his house with hospitality and a fire pit. And we just sat around and had this incredible, incredible night because he used, and he's like, this is my superpower. Dude, not everybody wants to create meals like that and open up their things, right? Joyce, who just loves being with people, right? She's been in our church two years and she's like, I'm willing to step in. I'm going to do whatever it takes to love people. And not only does she like lead a group, she's willing to like lead a couch time. She's like the best talk show host of all time. Not only because she's kind and warm, but because you can just tell how much she loves God and wants people to be connected. Like it's not a program, it is her heart. And like I could just go on and on and on. Every single person in our, in our church over and over and over again, people who like, it's not my superpower, but It is when you say yes to what God uniquely made you to do and you do it in service to God and you do it together, then we together are the body of Christ. So I'm gonna end with this last verse. It says this, for just as each of us have one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, we form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And I just think there's a passage in 1 Corinthians which says the same thing, but I love this one in Romans because it's like the picture that Paul talks about with the temple, that 
we belong to one another. We're not interchangeable parts. We're not interchangeable parts. You are needed by God. You're crafted by God to be God's unique vessel for his kingdom. But not you individually, us together. And Marin Covenant cannot be Marin Covenant if you're not doing your part. And the churches of Marin cannot be the churches of Marin if Marin Covenant isn't doing its lane. And the church universal can't be the church universal, right? Unless all of us are doing our lane. And so here's the last thing I just want to encourage us with. Uh, one of the pictures of the Holy Spirit is this idea of the fire. And, and, and Paul says in one of his epistles, he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And so if you think, how do I get to be someone who know, can listen to the Holy Spirit, who is engaged by the Holy Spirit, who is empowered by the Holy Spirit? Um, I love the picture of a fire, maybe because as a, as a boy, I love making fire. I love burning things down. I love being dangerous around that. I mean, it's, I know it's a problem. Less now because I'm maturing. But there is something mesmerizing about building a fire. I don't know if you like, if you ever made a fire, you built a fire. What is actually, it actually takes some effort. Yeah. It takes some energy. You actually have to nurture it and care for it. You don't just go, oh, th there's this little spark and flame. God's doing something. You drop a big old log on it. No, you have to find the right kind of kindling, the right kind of wood, and you build and you nurture it. And so when the Holy Spirit's doing something, you want to find yourself in the place where the Holy Spirit's doing his work. Right? That's why we pray. That's why we came here to pray. That's why we uh, worship together. That's why we're in community. That's why we do the spiritual disciplines. Those are all things that throw kindling on the fire so that we can build the Holy Spirit. He says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And many of us in our sin or rebellion or in our flesh, we just, there's these little movements of God and then we throw these big wet blankets on it. We're like, God, why aren't you working? And then like, God's like, oh, fine. He pulls the wet blanket off for us and begins to do the new work. And then we throw another wet blanket. We're like, God, why aren't you working? Paul's just like, listen. Do not quench the Holy Spirit, right? Take those blankets and remove them. Don't quit throwing those on the fire. And thankfully, God in his long suffering and his grace and his forever endurance running after us will always keep helping us remove those wet blankets because once the Holy Spirit's inside of us, the Holy Spirit's gonna always have his way in us eventually. But the more that we partner with the Holy Spirit, the more that we take those, uh, those wet blankets off and put the kindling in and part of the Holy Spirit, the more we're gonna experience his power and is leaning and to leverage our gifts for his glory. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we're so thankful for your generosity towards us. I'm so thankful that you didn't give up on me, you didn't give up on us, you didn't give up on humanity. Forever since the beginning, your, your desire was to make a home among your people, to walk with us, to enjoy life together, to talk with us, to be on mission together. And I'm thankful for your son, Jesus, who ultimately, through his life and his death and resurrection, tore down the barrier so there's no more barrier, no more sin, no more shame, nothing that keeps us separated from you and from your presence. And I'm thankful that Jesus came and did all that and left the helper, left the Holy Spirit to then move in us so that we now can be your temple, your living temple. So don't let us just be beautiful ships on display, but help us to put our sails down, to discern together the movement of your Holy Spirit, to capture your power, to go where you lead, and to be used by you for your glory, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen.